As we've said in, in the service, we just started a series on worship, and if you missed last week, uh, you're welcome to catch up with that on our website or on iTunes, whatever way you'd like to, to stream that message, but you, uh, I can bring you up to speed very quickly, but I want to start by just giving you a little bit of a question here, because the reason why we're sharing about worship is because for many of you, there's many, I think many of us in here are not entirely certain or are not, um, we really don't have a solid foundation or a solid understanding or a solid reason to come together and to worship. What is that? What does it mean? I mean, for some of you, uh, maybe you're new to our congregation and you come in and you're like, I'm not really sure what's going on in this place. Or maybe you visited another church and they, uh, they worshiped a different way, which is, is fine. Um, many ways to do this, but you just kind of looked around like, I have no idea what's going on right now in this sanctuary. Uh, you just have questions. Maybe you grew up. Maybe you grew up going to church, and there was a time where you're kind of, not so much in a rebellious way as a child or a teen going, well, why do I have to go, or why do we have to do this? But in a genuine curiosity, you had a question of, why do we do this? And, and you may have received an answer that really wasn't satisfactory to you. Maybe it was satisfactory at the time, but as you went to college or as you were faced with a decision of, well, do I go to an environment where we worship together or do I go and do this other thing? All of a sudden, the reason for worship really wasn't as important. It, it wasn't meaningful enough where it actually changed your schedule or made a difference to you because you found that what you were taught or what your understanding was about worship really didn't put that much value on it or at least enough to to change what you would do so maybe you need to rethink a little bit what worship means to you um, if someone was to ask, you know, come to you, and, and maybe they had never been to church or they had never been to your church or what you grew up with, whatever it is. And they were, ask, they were to ask you, well, what is it that you do at church? You know, when, when you say worship, what is that? And you would kind of fumble around, you know, like, well, I, you know, why are you, you know, like, why are you asking me that, you know? And, and, but maybe you would settle in on, well, here are the things we do. You know, we, we sing together, which honestly is, is kind of odd. There's not really a lot of places you go and you just break out in song. It's not like you show up to work every day and, and you and your colleagues get together and you decide what you're singing that day. That doesn't really happen. Um, well, we also pray. You mean like one person prays or we all pray? Well, one person prays, but we're all kind of thinking that prayer. We're all kind of feeling that prayer. Well, that sounds a little odd. Um, well, someone gets up and speaks, so it's like school. No, it's not like school. It's different from school. Um, we do a lot of things. We pray, you know. It would be, you would describe worship or a service by the elements, the pieces that are in there, kind of the tools or the actions that we do. And that's very understandable. But worship is more than that. And where we were last week, where we were last week, we were in an Old Testament book of Malachi, where we saw that God sees worship as being very, very important. And he sees that the core of worship is not the actions. 
It actually has very little to do with the actions. It has everything to do with the heart. And we looked at a passage, John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24 especially, where Jesus is meeting with someone who really had very little to do with faith, and, and her life was a mess. And Jesus cuts through all of the mess and cuts through her defenses and just says, listen, worship is something you do with your heart. That he says, true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. It's something that comes out of them. And so we learned that the core of worship is whatever's going on in your heart. It's what your heart wants to communicate to the Lord. That's the core of worship. Well, this week, we're moving into the content of worship. Because, quite honestly, if you were tracking, if you, if you were tracking with me, with, the, with what we were learning about, and you ended up with, okay, the core of worship is what's in my heart. I think the natural question is, what is it that's supposed to be present in my heart? Because let's, I mean, if you were to be honest and I was to be honest with you, very often what's in our heart does not lend itself to worship, does it? What's in my heart, even on a Sunday morning, may not really be the best thing for worship. And it's hard. It's hard to change our hearts, isn't it? I mean, we... We wish and we long to change the hearts of other people because um, they can defend their actions, they can defend their choices, but it's painfully obvious to us where their hearts are, and we wish we could change that. And sometimes we wish the same thing of us, like, I wish I could just change what's in my heart. Well, what is supposed to be in there? If, I, if worship needs to come from my heart, what needs to be in there? And so Paul who was very aware of what Christ had taught and what we read about in John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. He talked to the disciples who were present at that time and saw Jesus. Uh, Paul was three and a half years being trained by the Spirit of God. He knew these things. And so Paul knew this truth, that, that true worship comes from spirit and truth. And he looks to edify or to instruct the church at Colossae in regards to worship. And so I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15 is where the bulk of this message is coming from. That's the passage we're going to study. This is page 834 if you want to use the Pew Bible, but you're welcome to use any copy of the Scriptures you have or electronic Whatever you enjoy looking at, taking notes on, do that. Do that. But if you're here and you just want to grab a pew Bible, page 834, you find Colossians chapter 3. Paul, in this passage, he's being very, very instructing to the church. Almost like teaching, very practical is what he's looking at. And, And if you look at the start of the chapter, uh, chapter 3 and verse 1, we read this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Very similar to what Jesus was saying in John chapter 4. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. He's saying, your, he's given the same kind of challenge. Your heart needs to be centered on eternal things. 
on Christ. But the rest of this chapter is, is instruction on how to do that. See, last week we stopped short of saying, here's how you change your heart, or here's how, what should be present in your heart. And that's what Paul's going to answer today. In chapter 3, and we drop down to verse 15, he begins to introduce what really needs to be in our heart, what really needs to be the content of our worship. And so we read verse 15 first. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. So the first instruction that Paul's giving, very he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. What is to be the dominant controlling influence in your heart? It's the peace of Christ. It's the peace of Christ. It's the peace that comes from understanding that your salvation is sure. It, it comes to those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ that have said, Listen, I don't know everything, I don't understand everything, but I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm doing that much. I'm believing that He will protect my soul for all eternity, that he, and that He is the only way. That, that's what I'm doing. He's giving me a right relationship with God. That's where that peace comes from. But it's very interesting what Paul adds, and Paul's always looking to strengthen the congregation. He's always looking to strengthen the church as a whole. In verse 15, he doesn't just say the peace that you have and leaves it there. He says, the peace, um, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. So, you have been called to salvation, you have been called to peace, and that peace should rule in your heart. But more than that, others within the congregation have that peace. Paul's always looking to build unity in the congregation. Always looking to unify people. And I tell you, there's no greater thing that challenges my heart. You know, when I'm, you ever feel just a little disgruntled at someone else? It's like the nice way to put it, right? Like they just, it's like, you're just like, please stop, you know, like whatever they're doing, just, just stop, you know, it's like annoying, it's wrong, you're frustrated with this person, I don't know, you may even live with this person, I, don't look to your, your left or to your right, it might get awkward, but you just, you have this frustration. I tell you, the greatest thing that challenges me is something that Paul's referencing here. He says, remember that, that you have this peace with all the members of the body, I mean, he's saying body, he's talking about congregation, local church, or, you know, just anyone who has professed Christ as being their Savior. That's who he's talking about. He says, you have this with them that he felt their salvation was just as important as your salvation. It's like, okay, as much as person A may be annoying me, God values them the same way he values me. If they have professed salvation, if they have said, yes, I, I believe in Jesus Christ, then Christ went to the cross for them just as much as he went to the cross for me. I'm not better than them. I'm not, you know, more on my game, whatever it is, than them. There's something in me that's kind of working against them, but Christ has said they're just as valuable. 
That's this peace that comes. It's not just a peace that rules in my heart. It's a peace that rules in my heart to the point that I can have peace with this person. That's what he's talking about. He says, let this be the controlling influence of your heart. And as we talk about the content of our worship, look at this little last phrase that we see in this verse and we're going to see in the next two verses. The last phrase in verse 15 says, and be thankful. Now, Paul is going to drip that into the next three verses. And thankfulness or gratitude is the content. And in verse 15, he's saying this should be the content of your heart. If you're taking notes, that blank there is heart. You individually should have thankfulness in your heart, gratitude in your heart. Heart. Well, in verse 16, he moves from really talking to the individual as they interact with one another and what needs to be present in their heart, and he starts to talk about the content of your gathering or your assembly. That's the next blank if you'd like to fill that in, a gathering or assembly, because he talks about some of the things you do when you come together. Now, before uh, we look at that verse, because he's going to talk about some of the things that happen when we come together as an assembly. But I, I thought I'd give you, I don't know what that just did, but uh, I thought I'd give you a little list. And this is something you're welcome to write down. This is something that I can give you later. Because I know as you and I think about what do we do as worship, we think of things. And certainly there are things we do in worship. So I'm just sharing these with you briefly. So we have baptism. And one of the passages, Matthew 28, 19, we see the people came together for baptism. If you don't get these references, happy to give them to you later. I just, it's not really the point of the message. I just want us to know that there's a lot of things that happen when we come together. Communion, we just shared and read this passage just now. We do that when we come together for worship. The laying on of hands, there's several places in Acts and, and other places, Acts chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 13. We see that when we come together, we, we lay on hands for prayer. The lifting of hands, both in prayer or in, in praise, the lifting of hands. One of those passages, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. Some of the things we do as we come together for worship. The reading of Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 4. We see that in the New Testament. The giving, the, the contributions to the ministry. We see that 1 Corinthians chapter 16, one of the places we see that. This is not an exhausted list. This is not a, all of the scripture that you could have on these things. Preaching. We see that uh, illustrated throughout uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 8 is one of those places. Just the instruction of that. And in fact, um, in, Col in Colossians, we're about to read uh, this again. Singing. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. They came together and they would sing, and we're going to see that again in this verse. Prayer, of course. Many places, but in Acts chapter 3, verse 46, we see that they came together every day at the temple for prayer. This was, the new, this was a brand new church, and they're like, well, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to get together every day and pray. That's what we're going to do. So these are just some of the things that we see in worship. Just some of the tools, but... 
again, and I've said this a few times, it's amazing how little instruction there is throughout the New Testament on how you are to do these specific things. And on, like, our, what is a service supposed to look like? Never once do we read about here was a gathering or a service and what it looked like. We just read about things that they were doing in the service. Or as they came together, here are things that they did. There's never any instruction like, here's what a service should look like. You know, you, you're going to start with this, and then there's this, and then you close in prayer. Never is that found. Because more important than anything is, of course, our heart. So, Paul is not giving us, in this next verse, in verse 16, he's not giving us an exhaustive list of here's what our gatherings look like. He's just referencing some of the things that we do when we come together as a body of believers. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs With what? Gratitude in your hearts to God. Here again, what is the content of worship? It's gratitude. It's thankfulness. This should be the content of our gathering. He talks about that the Word of God should fill our hearts. Um, This is something he's saying, like, as you come together, God's Word should already be filling you. You should have already been practicing, um, you know, engaging with God's Word that it would change your thoughts. Uh, Devotions, just reading Scripture, memorizing Scripture. These are all the things that help to train your thoughts. Um, He says not only that, he, he talks about as you come together... God's Word is, is ruling in you, it's working in you, but there's both teaching and there's admonition is the word that we see there. So teaching is like communicating fact. Communicate, it's educating. It's um, This week, I'm going to pick on myself here. You love it when I do that. It's better because a lot of the other time you feel like I'm picking on you, and, and maybe that's true, but right now I'll pick on myself. My lovely wife, this week, I get up from the table from supper, and I grab my dirty dishes, which I'm already feeling very proud of myself, you know. And I'm walking towards the kitchen, and she teaches me, she instructs me, she lets me know that the dishwasher is empty. That was wonderful information. I'm thinking, well, let's celebrate that, that it's empty. I would hate to ruin an empty dishwasher by putting my dirty dishes in there, right? Like that, we, so she's communicating information now. If she was to be admonishing of me, to admonish me, would be something more along the lines of, you could put your dirty dishes in the dishwasher. Or possibly another way of admonition would be, you should put your dirty dishes in the dishwasher. Um, You know, Johnny, would you mind setting an example to these five children by putting your dirty dishes in the dishwasher? Admonition could even go so far as you better put your dirty dishes in the dishwasher. She didn't do any of those things, and, and I hope I put, I don't remember if I did. I think I did. I better have. If not, she'll be up here preaching next Sunday and tell you the rest of the story. 
That's the difference between teaching and admonition. Teaching is giving you instruction. Admonition is saying, this should make a difference in your life. And Paul's saying, when you get together for teaching and for admonition, there should be gratitude in your heart. And it should be in your song, whatever kind of song that is. Um, Many people have tried to talk through what, what is a hymn and a spiritual song and It's just saying whatever song you're singing, may your song be filled with thankfulness to an amazing God. So the content of our gathering, the content of our worship is gratitude as we are instructed and as we sing to the Lord. So in verse 16, we see that the the content of our heart should be thankfulness in verse 16. 16, we see the content of our gathering as we come together ought to be thankfulness. In verse 17, we read this, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And here it is again, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I call this the content of your impact or influence, if you'd like to use that word. Whatever you do, I I think so many of us, we want to live in a world where we're not making a difference or an impact. I'll tell you why that is. Because if someone's counting on me, I need to have my act together. If if I know, you know, these children or or this group of people or the people at work are going to follow me, if I know my friends are looking to me as an example, I really need to have my act together. So I'm going to isolate myself because I don't really want to be that person. So, I don't know if all of us do that, but I think some of us do that. I'm going to limit my contact. Maybe, maybe for you, this is the reason why to become involved in a group, to be around people that are, are interested in growing in their relationship with Christ seems very uncomfortable to you. I don't know, and I'm not telling you this is true about you, but I'm saying this could be that reason Because you want to believe that you don't make a difference. But the truth is, all of us make a difference one way or another. All of us have an impact in the people that know us, that are aware of us. We all have an impact. And so our worship makes a big difference in the lives of those around us. Um, Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, meaning whatever comes out of your mouth, whatever choices you make, they ought to glorify God. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. What do you need in your heart for that to happen? Gratitude. Gratitude. If the core of worship is our heart, The way that we get the right heart for worship is to fill it with gratitude. Um, Bottom line, thing that I I want hopefully to stick in your, your thoughts today is that gratitude is the attitude of worship. And maybe that's what maybe something you need to write down this morning. Gratitude is the attitude of worship. Paul says, in regards to your heart. 
be thankful. In regards to as you come together, be thankful. In regards to everything you do, be thankful. Fill your heart with gratitude. Gratitude is the attitude of worship. What, is, what does this look like very practically for you and for me this morning? I think very often in terms of as we come together, we treat worship as something we're supposed to get from. Our, and some of our dialogue happens this way. You know, I, you know, we might say things like, I didn't really feel it at worship today. I didn't really feel it. Like, I, didn't, I didn't gain that feeling. Um, maybe we just talk about worship as something like, I didn't get anything out of worship today. Maybe it's, it's something more like, you know, uh, my circumstances, everything that's going on in my life today, it was too much. It's just overwhelming my mind so that I could not think of an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God. Like, I just couldn't focus on Him. And we treat the service or the worship as something that failed us. If worship comes from your heart and from my heart, then I think before we ever come into the sanctuary, we've decided whether or not we're worshiping. If I come into the sanctuary and I, my heart is already full of thankfulness for him, I can't wait to start singing. I can't wait to, to hear what's going to take place. I can't wait to engage other people around me. And worship, quite honestly, is not the only thing that happens in our services. We call it a worship service. It's not the only thing that happens. So I'm not saying to you that if you can't come with gratitude in your heart, then don't come. That's not my point at all. What I want to do is educate what you're saying. Maybe what instead of saying, I didn't really feel it at worship today, maybe you need to say, I just didn't get anything out of the service today. I just want to educate your speech because worship is something that comes from your heart to God. It's thankfulness. It's gratitude that is already existing that pours out to the Lord. That's what worship is. So when you talk about, if you, you come to service for anything, you come to a, a service for anything, you are welcome here. You come because you have questions, you're welcome here. You come because you need hope for the week to come, you come. We want you to experience those things. But just understand when I'm trying to educate you, when you look around and you go, I don't know what that person's doing, but that doesn't look the same as what I'm doing. I don't know what, what this song is about exactly, but maybe I want to understand it. I want you to grow in your ability to worship, and you need to know what it is. Worship comes from a heart filled with gratitude. Now how, if you're here this morning and, and, it, and you're interested, this may not be for all of you, some of you know that you come because you have doubts, questions, or you're looking for hope and you're welcome. Want you here. Hope that you receive those things. We want you to receive those things. But if you're here and you're like, I would like to feel something different when it comes to worship. I would like to know that just something is different 
in my heart, that, that when I sing, when we come together, it feels different for me. And so it's going to come from a heart. I can give you some very practical ways to help encourage your heart to worship. One of the, the, the main thing is you have to train your thoughts. Refocus your mind. Every time my mind is on the circumstances that surround me, I do not have gratitude in my heart. You know, because oftentimes those circumstances are very discouraging. We don't know how they're going to work out. The unknown causes us worry and anxiety. And so when our focus is upon those things, it's a wreck. And it's hard to worship. So what are some of the things we can refocus our mind on? I think we start with salvation. Again, those who have experienced the peace of God, knowing that a Savior who was sinless died on the cross for you, conquered death, and offers you salvation freely. No one can love you more than that. that can be, we can be so thankful for that, but we have to actually think about it, and we find gratitude. What about deliverance? God's deliverance. See, God doesn't just save us. You know this to be true. God hasn't just saved us for eternity. He works in our lives and delivers us from circumstances, from people, from the, just the evilness or wickedness that works in this world today. God has offered you deliverance in the past. Very often when I face trials or a circumstance that I don't like, I can remember the times that God has worked in the past. And I go, I'm not feeling that excited right now or that happy but God I remember what you have done and so I'm trusting you with this and all of a sudden I can be thankful because of what he's done and if you can't remember what God has done for you how about what God is doing for other people right now Carl and Jenna are ministering to your kids and your grandkids back in the firehouse but what an awesome week that they have had many of you have uh, you know, contributed financially, contributed in prayers to what's going on. But I know many of you are not on Facebook, and so don't get the news right away. This week, Carl went to St. Louis, and they scanned everything, and his tumors are all half the size of what they were. Praise God for that. How awesome. I, I was on the phone with Carl. We spent some time with him too this week, but I was on the phone. I said, you know what? We're not surprised, but we're blessed. He goes, that's right. Just, and, and, and he was sharing with me, Carl, just, just amazing what God's doing in that man's life and in Jenna's life, the whole family. Amazing, their heart. But Carl felt bad because he wasn't bouncing off the ceiling when he got the news. Like he felt like he let the doctor down. Because he was just like, great, you know, I, like, I, you know, I was ready for that. And he, he shared with me how he just, in his body, obviously you can feel when that kind of change happens. He expected that. When, when I think of what God has done for Carl, it, not just with that news that he's received this week, but other things. You know what, the headache that was bothering me yesterday, I don't even think about it. The things that you and I were just kind of upset about this past week, they're like that big, aren't they? All of a sudden, gratitude has filled my heart. And if Carl and Jenna are giving the praise to God, maybe I can come and praise God in this service, regardless of what's going on in my life. Refocusing my thoughts. If I'm not thinking about the things I don't like in my life and I'm thinking about what God's doing in someone else's life, 
how much gratitude fills my heart. And if, nothing, if all that else fails, think of who he is. An unchanging, unfailing God. He has always loved me. He has always given the best for me. What is the content of worship? It's gratitude. Gratitude is the attitude of worship, and it comes by training our minds upon all the good things he has done and not the things we wish he would do. Such a wonderful God. In a minute, I'm going to pray, and then after that, we're going to sing a couple of songs. Our first song um, talks about all the greatness that is God. It's just a, a, a song of celebration, inviting all of us to sing together of God's greatness. And then our second song talks about how I think one of the most beautiful things of an all-powerful, all-knowing God is that in, even though he's all of these things that are unimaginable, he decides to be a very good, good father for you and for me. So we can be thankful for who he is and what he has done. And in this prayer, maybe you don't want to listen to my prayer. Maybe you need to talk to the Lord yourself. But I invite you to say, God, give me a heart of gratitude as I enter into this song. Give, help me to refocus my mind upon your goodness, your greatness, so that as I sing or as I think about this song, I can be thankful. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we have, we have seen some very clear instruction this morning from Paul, and he's challenged us that gratitude should be the attitude of our worship. And I know so many days, and I know even in so many services, we can come and we're distracted, we're, and, and, and worship just feels impossible. But Lord, we have a space now. We have just a moment in our lives now that we can focus upon you what you have done in our lives, what you have done in others' lives, and just who you are. So for those in this space that know you, that love you, and that want to grow in their worship of you, I pray that you would fill their heart with thanksgiving and fill their minds with the goodness and greatness of who you are. In your name, amen.